Fani, F-A-N-I. Last name is Willis. Um, Ms. Willis, when, how did you know to come into the courtroom right now? There were people I was pacing in my office, okay. and um, I heard someone yell, his testimony is done. Um, it only made sense to me that I would be your next witness, and I've been very anxious to have this conversation with them today. Okay. So I ran to the courtroom. So as soon as um, you heard that Mr. Wade was done testifying, that's when you just assumed you would be the next witness? It only makes sense. Um, did you listen to any of the testimony? I've been in my office pacing, ma'am. Okay. Um, did you listen to any of the arguments? I did hear the, the arguments this morning. It's ridiculous to me that the, you lied on Monday, and yet here we still are. And I did listen to that argument. Um, and happy Monday, and welcome to The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It is Monday, February 19, 2024. We're so glad you decided to stop in and spend some time with us today. As always, Val Atkinson is here. Hey, Val. Hello, Ed. Hey. <laughs> we, gotta, we, we, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, on the on the lead in, uh, our girl, Fonnie Willis, <laughs> the DA of Fulton County in uh in uh, Georgia made a surprise appearance in the court uh, Thursday. Mm -hmm. uh, she had been trying to quash uh, a subpoena to talk about the divorce of the special prosecutor in the case, Nathan Wade. And she was like, no, <laughs> no, you don't have to quash it. I'm, I'm going to talk. And so she appears in the court in the, in the clip that you saw her going up to the stand to uh, testify, she and, and as some of the reporters on MSNBC said, she was coming in hot, <laughs> uh, and, and she did not look happy at all. Val, um, let's just get going with this. What what's going on in Georgia? Uh, do you think it was a good idea for Fannie Willis to get up there? But I guess let's backtrack. What's going on first, and then we'll talk about whether or not it was a good idea or not. Absolutely. What's really going on uh, is the Trump lawyers, uh, Trump et al., we might say, uh, trying to use this as another delay tactic. Uh, this is, they know they don't have any shot at uh, doing anything more than that. Uh, they, they are throwing out distractions to the public, talking about trying to get rid of and taking Fonnie Willis and Wade off the case uh, thinking that it would take a monumental amount of time uh, to get replacements up to snuff, up to speed, so that they can do this. And all this means that that's another case pushed back beyond November the 3rd of 2024. That's what they want to do. That is the purpose for all of this. Uh, Fonnie Willis is is not on trial for anything. She hadn't been she hadn't done anything. She hadn't been indicted or any of this kind of stuff. So it's working for them, you know, to delay, 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 because the worst thing that could happen to Trump, and I know we're going to get in it a little bit later when we start talking about his trials and cases and all of this kind of stuff. The worst thing that could happen, he gets a couple of convictions out of these cases that are coming up. And now all the polls saying that there's a substantial number of people who are saying if he's convicted going into November 3rd, they will not vote for him. These are Republicans saying that. So anything he could do to push the verdict beyond 
November the 3rd of this year, uh, that's what he wants. And he'll deal with it later. And if he gets elected uh, president, it's no question about what's going to happen with the cases. And uh, if he doesn't get elected, he'll uh, just play with that as it goes. So this is about delaying. And and uh, most people are on the side of Fonnie Willis. Uh, I have heard one Democrat come out and say that Mr. Wade ought to just go ahead and step down because it's going to be a, uh, let's call it unnecessary distraction, uh, that people are going to continue to talk about that and that he is not an indispensable piece in the def uh, in the prosecution's case and, and in their strategies. So he ought to do this. Well, it would be a big knock for him in terms of losing uh, the salary that he's getting, I, I guess. I'm not sure how the, the contract is, is constructed, whether or not he would be paid anyway. Uh, but uh, there are there is talk that he should go ahead and voluntarily say, I'm going to uh, seek other avenues for yeah. my time. Yeah, you know, the other part of this, Val, is, um, you, you know, Nathan Wade clearly I mean, even the governor of Georgia, former governor of Georgia said that Nathan Wade was capable, you know, to be the special prosecutor, that he was even asked to be the special prosecutor. Let's look at that clip real quick and then we'll talk about it. Fonnie Willis um, about being a special prosecutor. I was. Uh, I don't do you, I don't recall the exact date, but uh, I know it was sometime uh, in 2021. And uh, she asked me to come down, and uh, I met with her and Nathan Wade, and there were several other in the meeting. Uh, she asked me, uh, said they were beginning this investigation, and she asked me if I'd be interested in being special prosecutor, to which I replied that I had mouths to feed at a law office and uh, that I could not, I would not do that. And also, I just had a bad, well, I won't say bad because it happens from time to time, but I just had the FBI to report uh, a fella, uh, militia trainer, to me that said they were concerned uh, that he was making threats against me. And because I was, I thought it was because of the flag, but I asked him and he said, no, it was because I was too close to the Jews, quote unquote. And uh, I told uh, D.A. Willis, I didn't, I'd lived with uh, bodyguards uh, for four years and I didn't like it. And I wasn't gonna live with bodyguards for the rest of my life. So Val, Fonnie Willis asked the governor, former governor of Georgia to be the special prosecutor he declined it. And the thing that stands out to me in what he just said was that it was because he feared for his life. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the things that I don't think people have been very clear eyed on here is that Fonnie Willis was moving around because her life was in jeopardy. Uh, her father, who had recently moved in with her, you know, around the pandemic who is a noted 
lawyer in, in, in criminal courts around the world, not just, you know, he, he's a noted lawyer. He was in fear for her life and wanted her to move in that, that she was moving around. And, and then this case comes up and she asked the former governor to be the special prosecutor. And he says, no, I, I number one, the pay's too low. And two, I'm not going to have bodyguards all the time. Uh, why do you think it's taken so long for those kind of things to come up? Or or should they have even mattered in, in the first place? Um, you know, Fonnie Willis should not have to explain why she hired Nathan Wade, because the governor even said that Wade was capable. So why are we questioning? Why do you have to go get the governor, former governor of Georgia, to get on the stand to say that? Shouldn't the, the judge know all these people already? Yeah, he knows all of that, but he's, you know, it's very difficult for the decision makers to do anything to go against uh, the Trump nation, uh, to go against Trumpism, because the, a lot of the people that are following Trump, uh, and you alluded to a few minutes ago, Ed, uh, these people are crazy. They are making other folks afraid of them, because it's not what Trump himself will do to anybody. He riles people up. And then those are the people you need to be afraid of. I mean, already they are sending text messages and making phone calls and all of these kinds of things to scare, to put fear uh, into anybody who's not a Trump supporter. So uh, uh, Fonnie uh, Wilson's dad has right to be concerned uh, the judge, uh, uh, the, the former gov uh, governor, has right to be concerned. Anybody close to this who's not on uh, the Trumpism bandwagon uh, needs to be real careful. Yeah, yeah, their life is in jeopardy, and, and it's a shame that it's come to that. But but that's just the, the case. The one last piece I want to talk to you about on this is that. I happened to see 60 Minutes last night and a guy named Andrew Hitt was on there. Let's play this clip and we'll talk about it because I think it's related to what's going on in Georgia. You were head of the Republican Party in Wisconsin. Were you a big Trump supporter? I worked tirelessly for him. I, you know, day and night. Let's put it together for the president of the United States one more time. Oftentimes phone calls would start by six o'clock in the morning and wouldn't end until 1030 at night. I did everything I possibly could. The Wisconsin Republican Party Chairman Andrew Hitt. Andrew Hitt was often singled out by President Trump at rallies in Wisconsin. Andrew Hitt. Andrew Hitt. How are we doing, Andrew? Gonna win this state? Gotta win it. But Trump didn't win in Wisconsin. He lost to Joe Biden by some 20,700 votes. The Trump campaign appealed challenging more than 200,000 absentee ballots on technical grounds in two Democratic counties. If you count the lawful votes, Trump won Wisconsin by a good margin. That was false. What he said was false. The Trump campaign wanted the votes in Dane County and Milwaukee County tossed. Did you support that idea? It wasn't something that I was comfortable with. Dane County and Milwaukee County in Wisconsin are the most liberal counties. The majority of the black population in Wisconsin live in those two counties. Correct. Correct. Personally, you did not believe all those absentee ballots should be thrown out. Well, I voted that way. You know, I voted that way. You didn't think your own vote should be thrown out? No. So, Val, uh, Andrew Hitt was head of the Republican Party in Wisconsin. 
uh, he was also a fake elector, which is also at the heart of what's going on in Georgia. One of the people's names that came up is um, Mr. Roman. Mr. Roman is the defendant in Georgia who lodged these allegations <laughs> against Fonnie Willis. And Mr. Roman is also the fellow that's already gotten immunity from Jack Smith for testifying against Donald Trump. He, he thinks that he could throw a monkey wrench in this as well <clears throat> and avoid jail time altogether. I just wrote a piece about it this morning that I posted this morning. My theory is that, you know, uh, along with yours that they're just trying to delay is that people like Mr. Roman, uh, who know that they did this fake, fake elector stuff, they're trying to keep their ass out of jail by any means necessary, too, because they're also going to try to these kind of things when it comes to Jack Smith's case and try to avoid going to 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 jail. Um, we know that January 6th was uh, uh, a coup attempt. There's no two ways about it. Uh, <laughs> and this Andrew Hitt guy from Wisconsin says that when he was brought into the room, Mr. Chesborough was there. Mr. Roman was involved. The same people that are involved in Georgia that were involved in Wisconsin and they got out of it in Wisconsin by settling a civil case and paying the Democrats in Wisconsin money instead of having this state trial. So here's my long way to the question. Would it have been a better idea for the state of Georgia to say, hey, Jack Smith, you just handle this because you have more weight. You, you have the Justice Department on your side. Uh, we're in Georgia in a hostile environment, and we may not ever be able to get this case to trial. It, it may have worked. <clears throat> they could have done that. But uh, if we look back at Fonnie Willis's background, she this is not the first time she's tried anything that looks like a RICO case. Or, and those kinds of things. She has experience in this area. Uh, and, and of course, it, she didn't fight, fight it. She wanted to do this. It's something that she felt that she could do well in. Uh, so it was a win-win on, on all sides to make it happen this way. Plus, uh, Jack plate is kind of full. Uh, he obviously doesn't need a lot more put on it right now. So I think it was a good decision to to handle it as they did, particularly because you had somebody like Fonnie that has done this before. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll buy that. Well, here, here's, here's the next thing. So we might as well get Trump out of the way since we're talking about him up front. He lost a big case. Here's a clip, and we'll talk about it. A New York judge dropping the hammer on former President Donald Trump's business empire, reaching a blockbuster verdict in the civil fraud trial and imposing a whopping $364 million penalty against his company. Trump is personally on the hook for $355 million of that. It is over what the judge ruled a year what the judge ruled was a years-long scheme to dupe banks and others with financial misstatements and inflated the former president's wealth. Trump is also barred from serving as an officer or director of any New York corporation for three years. His sons, Don Jr. and Eric Trump, ordered to pay $4 million. They also will not be permitted under this 
decision to be officers of a New York corporation for two years. So, Val, uh, your buddy Donald Trump now owes uh, $80-some million in his sexual assault case. He owes another 300 and some million dollars in New York. He can't do business for a, a number of years. His sons can't do business. When in the, when in the hell is this guy going to go away? What, is this going to ding him enough? Uh, how can he rightly continue on? He has no money, Val. He is not as rich as he's made out. What's going to happen? Well, I think this may be a time that in the darkest hour of Trump being alone by himself, I think he may have regrets coming down that escalator in the first place. Uh, you know, he has a lot of experience in marketing and the media and real estate and finances. He has absolutely no background and experience in politics, in the electoral process. And he thought that this whole thing called politics was a nothing burger, that if he could do real estate, New York real estate, if he could do Trump University and stakes and neckties and that kind of thing and be successful and not go to jail and all of that, politics was, you know, nothing. He, I think he found out that when you jumping into politics, there ain't nobody that's anybody's friend. Watch your back, Jack, is the rule in politics. And I think he's been surprised. You, I doubt if you would ever hear Donald Trump say that or admit that, but I really think he's been surprised. He didn't know it was gonna be this tough, this difficult. And that's why we see him taking the stances that you see him take, Ed, He's going all out. Every step is like a life and death step because that's what it is. You know, he can't afford to lose anything to anybody anywhere. The whole thing comes crumbling down. And I mean, really crumbling bad. He's just gone, you know? And um, so he's out there in no man's land right now fighting for his life. Yeah. Uh, fighting, uh, you know, for, for his whole profession, real estate, uh, the money, the brand he claims that he has, that everybody wants to be associated with Trump, and he loses this election in November. Nobody's going to warn him in politics. He loses all of his crazy sycophants and that sort of thing. This is life for Trump. This is it. Even if he doesn't end up going to jail, uh, I think you need to keep sharp uh, objects away from him for a while because <laughs> <laughs> I mean this is it for him. It, it is. It is an it's an existential crisis for him. One last thing yeah. about him, I, I I hate to bring this up, pal. Let's look at this clip about his Trump shoes. So he's going to have to come up with some cash, and he's Donald Trump apparently is coming up with some creative ways to do so. One day after finding out he was on the hook for more than three hundred fifty million dollars. The former president unveiled a new Trump-themed product to a less-than-receptive crowd. That's the real deal. That's the real deal. I just want to thank you very much for being here. It's an honor. It's an honor. You're all sneakerheads. 
Your sneaker heads, right? Wow. A lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion in this room. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, let's know that's the first time Trump has faced a hostile audience in a long time. And it was clear he didn't quite know what to By do with way, those I'm a little booths. disappointed you're not wearing them, John. Well, I was a, sort of hoping you'd There's crack a them reason out why the day. camera is only from the waist <laughs> up here. No, no footwear reveals uh, this morning. But that was Trump at SneakerCon, for some reason, which was held in Philadelphia over the weekend. And he did roll out a new line of shoes selling for a cool $399 a pair. Trump also announced a new fragrance line priced at $99 a bottle, where each scent symbolizes, quote, victory and strength. We'll leave you to decide what that actually smells like. Let's so, Val, we mentioned Trump stakes and Trump University and all the other clownish stuff that he's put the Trump name on. Now he wants the ugliest shoes ever. And he tries to introduce them at the sneaker show and gets booed. Uh, $399 for the most atrocious looking shoes I've ever seen. I guess he figures if he owes almost $500 million at $399 a pair, he could sell a billion and pay off his debt and then probably take the rest of the money from his campaign. Is that what he's doing here? Is that what Trump shoes is about? Somebody gave him, fed him a bunch of lies on his marketing team because what makes stuff like this fly off the shelves in the first place, I think of the Air Jordans and all of this other kind of stuff, is that behind it all, people really like Michael Jordan and they wanted to buy sneakers and, and that kind of thing. But people who make those kinds of decisions, people whose car note is... $200. They missed two Cardinals to buy the $400 sneakers, you see. People who do that kind of stuff don't like Trump, okay? So they, they, they don't have street cred because they are seen walking down the street with Donald Trump gold sneakers, okay? Now, look at the other side, the people who really support Trump. They don't make those kinds of decisions to go and buy gold sneakers and walk down the street and somebody will say, oh, wow, you you got the, the killer. You got the Mac daddy. You, you're wearing the gold sneaker. No, they ain't into that. They may send him a check for X amount of dollars uh, or, or buy one pair, but the group of people that buy these things, whether they can afford it or not, they ain't buying them. So he's got a bad... This is going to go the same way of his uh, USFL team. His yeah. Trump stinks. His Trump, Trump airlines. <laughs> his Trump neckties. It's going to go the same way. But he's going to make a few, uh, uh, a couple million dollars, a few million dollars or whatever. But you just rattled off the numbers a while ago when you about a half a billion dollars in the red, you know, Raising a million here, a million there ain't gonna help you, buddy. Yeah, well, I was hoping that you were gonna outfit your basketball team, the Trump <laughs> sneakers, but I guess, I guess that won't happen. Look, I hear some music in my ear. That means we need to take a break on the way out. You're gonna see a clip of Fonnie Willis's father on the way back in. We're gonna talk about uh, what's going on in South Carolina with the South Carolina primary coming up, and a whole bunch more. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this message. She was forced after she was elected about 
want me to go through the whole thing, but that, uh, Your Honor, if Your Honor will indulge me. Um, after she was sworn in, she was sworn in on January 1 of uh, 2021. And on or about the 3rd of February, um, at probably 5, 5.30 a.m. in the morning, um, there were people outside her house uh, cursing and yelling and calling her the B word and the N word and just, I mean, it was it, bizarre, okay? I mean, it just. Good morning. Good morning, Counselor. When your daughter moved or left the house that she owned, did, did she say anything to you about having a large uh, savings of cash? Oh, no, she, oh, no. See, maybe, excuse me, and I, Your Honor, I'm not trying to be racist, okay? But it's a black thing, okay? You know, I was trained, and most black folks, they hide cash or they keep cash. And uh, I was, no, I trained, you always keep some cash because uh, I've been places, and just because of the color of my skin, for example, I took a fellowship at Harvard when my daughter was just a, a if I might, Your Honor, if I might, when I was just, uh, she was just, you know, maybe three years old. And I remember going to a restaurant in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I had a American Express credit card and maybe a visa or whatever. And uh, I had a lot of um, what they call traveler's checks. I don't even know if they still have traveler's checks, but traveler's checks. And there was a sign said, you know, with the credit card, for whatever reasons, the man would not take my American Express credit card. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley highlighting foreign policy issues, including the death of Russian President Vladimir Putin's fiercest critic, Alexei Navalny, and slamming Trump, who has not publicly condemned his death. He sided with a guy that kills his political opponents. He sided with a thug that arrests American journalists and holds them hostage. And right now, Putin is feeling more emboldened than he ever has. U.S. Senator Tim Scott dropped out of the presidential race and is defending Trump. Without any question, the resources necessary to protect this world, apart as according to the NATO alliance, those resources went up under Donald Trump because of his, his language. Despite losses in the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary, Nikki Haley and her supporters are not backing down. She's going to play in all of the uh, Super Tuesday states, and I think she's going to do very well there. Welcome back to our second segment of The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It's Monday, February 19th, 2024. We were talking about Fonnie Willis in the first segment and Donald Trump and the verdict in New York that's essentially going to shut down Trump, Inc. You saw Fonnie Willis's father on the way out uh, talking about how black folks uh, are encouraged to save cash uh, on hand. Uh, to the point that Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade were making that Fonnie Willis did pay him back. There was no financial gain to be had, Val. And I, I, there's going to be another week or so before there's an outcome in that. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, when we, on the way back in, I said that I wanted to talk about South Carolina primary. The clip we saw on the way back in was Nikki Haley um, in, uh, in South Carolina campaigning last night. She had a good turnout. I mean, she was in her old stopping grounds near Rock Hill. Um, and 
um, you know, there are some more people talking about her. Uh, but I think, Val, we've, we've talked about it here uh, over the course of the last few weeks as everybody's dropped out, Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis being the, the, the ones at the end there, and, and uh, they never got any traction. I never expected them to. Did you expect Nikki Haley to be the one that was the last woman standing <laughs> against Donald no. Trump? It's a great question, I, and I, I didn't, and I think most uh, uh, people who are following closely uh, uh, this particular race in 2024, I think most folks uh, felt that it would have been uh, the governor from Florida, don't even like to say his name, uh, or someone else, but not uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, so it's a surprise, and she has the wherewithal. Uh, to go after Trump like she's trying to do. Uh, I believe that uh, if Nikki Haley and uh, the governor from Florida and many others would have been on this bent that she's on now early on in the race, maybe things would be different. Uh, I've been in politics a few years of my life, and this is the first political race that I've witnessed that all of the candidates are afraid to even say anything bad about one of the candidates to leave. I've never seen anything like this. How are you going to be in a race and you're afraid of the front runner? You're afraid to, to say that you won't even vote for him. You know, you're afraid to say anything negative about it. That should have told any onlooker all they needed to know about Trumpism and MAGA and how powerful this cult is and what's going on with the Republican Party. I mean, this is, you can't make it up, Ed. It's bad. No. Yeah, no, you can't make it up. One of the things that was interesting to me, I was reading an article from the uh, Tallahassee newspaper this morning, and they were saying that uh, Ron DeSantis wanted to revisit the uh, book ban law that he championed and passed. He said, well, maybe it was a little bit too much. Right. So so now uh, people like him who could not muster the courage to actually run against Donald Trump, uh, but they were trying to be very Trumpy or re trying to reconsider their positions. I, I think what he did for himself was actually washed his whole political career out like Tim Scott and and uh, and, and to a lesser extent. Uh, you know, Ramaswamy, I, I think he's just a clown anyway. And I think he will find out like um, past other uh, Indian men, South Asian men who tied themselves to the Republican Party that don't nobody care about them. That that like Bobby Jindal, he's going to be put to the side. And then Tim Scott even had to go out and get a, a white woman uh, to uh, hang out with, to take pictures with, to pretend like he's going to be her husband to try to wash his personality in the event that he could be Donald Trump's running mate. I, that's, that's some sick stuff over in the Republican party. Val. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't get it that, and I, I agree with you. It is. I can't think of any time where everybody's been so afraid of this person and won't criticize them with the exception of Nikki Haley who is uh, still hanging in there. Now, she's at home. So here's the, mm -hmm. here's the bigger question. She's at home, and Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham and 
the other Negro, Clarence Thomas from South Carolina, who can't can't say that he doesn't support her, but his wife supports Donald Trump, right? And she, she's not going to support Nikki Haley. What is her real chance of making some inroads in and giving him some dings, especially after the week he had in New York? This is going to be a very interesting primary down there in South Carolina, Ed. I, I tell you, it couldn't be more fraught with danger for everybody. Uh, you got uh, Tim Scott, you got Lindsey Graham, you got the former governor down there, Nikki Haley, uh, and you got Clarence Tom. You got so many players in the Republican Party down there that it's going to be really tough if Trump doesn't come out, not just winning, he's got to win big, not to look bad. Because if she comes anywhere close to him or if she beats him down there, this thing could turn around. This whole race could flip on that because a lot of other places are going to start saying, I don't know. And if this is coupled with a, a couple of those pending cases uh, against him, going down in defeat for him, uh, he could start seeing how the other side of the road looks. Uh, but this is going to be a big test for Nikki Haley, a, a, a former governor, a UN ambassador, uh, taking down the Confederate flag. I don't know, that may not do well for her in the <laughs> primary. <laughs> it may not help her very much. In the primary. But we'll see how that works because I can tell you right now, Ed, that Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, the, the two senators representing the state of South Carolina, are not going to walk out on that plank for Nikki Haley. They're not going to do it. No. And so he's got that already, and she's got herself. And I don't know how much that's going to make things go well, you know? Uh, we're going to find out what some close people to Donald Trump already know is that people don't necessarily like Trump that much. They're not afraid of Trump that much. It's the people that support Donald Trump that they're afraid of. Yeah, and 100%. So, so, so that's something that needs to be watched out, looked out for. Yeah, 100%. I want to remind you, you're listening uh, to The Deal or you're watching the podcast on any of the platforms that we are on Facebook, uh, YouTube, on our website, the deal with edclark.com, um, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever. Um, make sure you subscribe on, on one of those platforms. We don't care which one. We just want you to listen and also uh, give it out to other folks so they can join the crew because I think, Val, we, we have the best discussions on, on the internet. I, 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 I've been trying to watch, Val, um, you know, how people are talking about uh, the election. And I still hear a lot of grumblings about Biden being too old, but he is going to be the nominee for the Democrats. There's no two ways about it. There's no replacing him unless something catastrophic happens that I don't want to think about. Uh, I think um, Kamala Harris has been out there trying to talk about issues like the report that they had about uh, uh, there was going to be no charges in the uh, documents case against Joe Biden, 
that there was no uh, apparent nefarious purpose for him keeping those documents. But the uh, special prosecutor in that case uh, started flapping his gums, saying that Joe Biden was, uh, you know, uh, incoherent. He may be a sympathetic character because he's so old. And, and, the, and the special prosecutor knew that even if he wanted to charge Biden, he couldn't charge him at this point because his election year, blah, 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 because they used the same excuse, you know, for Donald Trump. So, um, Val, tell me, uh, there's also been another case where a special prosecutor, this one appointed by Donald Trump, uh, had to file charges against our star witness, the star witness that the Republicans have been talking about for months. Let's look at that clip and then we'll talk about it. Now to an arrest that threatens to torpedo Republican efforts to impeach President Biden. The special counsel is prosecuting Hunter Biden on tax charges, accuses an FBI informant of making false statements about the Biden's family business dealings. Scott McFarland is on Capitol Hill. Scott, good morning. So explain to the audience, what does this have to do with the president? Hey, Vlad, good morning. House Republicans' impeachment inquiry into President Biden makes reference to material from this FBI informant. Democrats argue the informant's arrest undercuts the inquiry. Republicans had fought for months to get the FBI to release more details of their interviews with this FBI informant, Alexander Smirnov, arguing Smirnov is a credible witness. According to the charging documents, Smirnov made false derogatory statements about the president and the president's son, Hunter, and their ties to Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Smirnov's accused of giving fabrications to the agents in the summer of 2020 as Mr. Biden was running for office, arguing that Burisma had bribed the president. According to the charging documents, Smirnov also had made biased statements against the president's candidacy during that same time frame. Smirnov faces two federal charges, making a false statement and creating a false record. So, Val, uh, this guy claimed that he had this all this information that Biden took $5 million, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Every time you turn around, uh, Comer and, and Jim Jordan and uh, Jim No Jacket Jordan uh, uh, was out there <laughs> trying to say that they had this solid proof that Joe Biden had taken $5 million for political influence. And now the special prosecutor that Donald Trump appointed says, no, he's a liar and he's being prosecuted, the, the star witness, the one who never, and then they got another star witness who's on the run because he's a Chinese informant. So Val, what are the chances that the Republicans are going to finally just give up the ghost and say, hey, we can't do this? I know they don't want to because they also passed an impeachment vote against uh, Secretary Mayorkas, 214 to 213, when they knew they they were going to lose that special election in New York and not be able to, you know, pass that impeachment vote, why can't these people seem to get anything done, or do they even want to get anything done? It's just all about getting Donald Trump back in office. Well, they don't operate on logic. So if if we come up with a plan that says, well, they see this and we have evidence of that, okay, then they, they'll be quiet and they'll back off and they'll go. Uh, tried something new. That's, they won't do that. They don't operate that way. They don't operate from logic. So they will make a decision when they see they are about to lose. And when they see they don't have all of their ducks in a row, 
like in this case where their star witness has now been indicted for something, for lying to the FBI, they'll say, okay, we may not have the votes, but that doesn't mean that their little legs aren't working under the surface like the, the swan on the lake, you know what I mean? They're going a thousand miles a second. Uh, and they're still looking for something else, anything else, to and, uh, to bring Joe Biden up on impeachment charges. They are trying to go into November saying, yeah, we got a guy who's twice in uh, impeached, but you your man's been impeached too. That's all they want to do. It doesn't matter one way or the other. And, it, it, you know, maybe it's a game for the lawyers to get down into the weeds and talk about whether or not this and how much of that and that kind of thing. But it doesn't matter. That's all they want is to be able to say your guy was impeached too. They know they have zero chance of winning in the Senate. You need 67 senators to make this happen. That mean, uh, means a whole bunch of Democrats would have to go over and join the uh, 49 or, 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 or 50 Republicans, however many they're going to have. They would need that in order to convict in the U.S. Senate. So they know what's going on. They're just trying to give them a little gunpowder here to say, yeah, we've been impeached twice, but you guys, your guys have been impeached, so let's not talk about that. That's all this is about. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't talk about this uh, before we came on, but I, this is sort of tangentially related. You know, I also heard that Joe Manchin, your your other favorite senator, decided that he wasn't he wasn't going to run as a third-party candidate. Um, and there's still this grumbling, general grumbling, like I said. I keep hearing this thing, like, polls that say young people may vote for Trump or black men are behind Trump or black men are going to stay home. And I, and I do see some evidence of some people that I know who posted some things and then Charlemagne had Nikki Haley on and, you know, blah, blah. You can go down to litany of things, right? Uh, before we run out of time in this segment, I would like for you to talk about what those polls mean because it seems like every story now just leads with, we got a poll and the poll says Negroes are going to stay at home or Negroes going to vote for Trump. Are those real, Val? Because I, I know you have some experience with that stuff. Yeah, they, they are real as far as a poll is concerned. Uh, but what the average uh, person in, in our uh uh, news consuming public doesn't understand is are the rules concerning what makes an effective poll or results of surveys. What makes it effective? A certain amount of people have to be subjects and have to be interviewed. Uh, the, the process by which you go, is it a representative sampling? meaning that the particular geographic area that you are trying to survey, those demographics within that geographical area must be represented in your polling. If 33% of your geographical area that you are polling happens to be African-American, 
then 33% of your sampling must be African-American or it's not significantly viable to put those uh, polling results out there. So the first thing I would ask any uh, polling uh, person who constructed the uh, variables in there, whether they are dependent or independent variables is, is this a representative survey? And if it is not, it doesn't matter. That that's one of the things. The polling doesn't matter. It may have followed all the rest of the rules, but I like to see representative surveys, and I want people to take surveys who have a history of voting regularly. Uh, I want all of the demographics, immutable demographics, and independent variables. I want all of that stuff to be viable before I listen to the polls. And you have a lot of people in school. I remember when I was teaching at North Carolina Central University uh, in the political science department, I, I taught a class in statistics who was a polling class. And I instructed and gave a, a, a project to my entire class that they had to go out and conduct a, a polling. I did not make them do a representative polling because it would have taken too long. And we only had one semester to do it. So a lot of them went to malls, went to parks and playgrounds and uh, sent emails out to their families and friends. That's how they got their subjects. But it was not viable. I knew that because many of them did all family members. You can't just do your family and tell me that 80% of the people do or don't do X, Y, or Z. It is irrelevant. So I'm, I'm saying all that to say that people don't understand polling enough to know which poll is it. I look at the people conducting the poll, Ed. I used to look at Harris polls and say, okay, these guys are okay. But now they got the Brookings Institute polling. They got the Heritage Foundation polling. I know what side both of these guys are coming down on. Heritage is super conservative. Brookings is on the other side of the fence. So we need to know who's doing the polling, what the purpose is, over what period of time, what was the geographical limitations, and what was the demographic uh, limitations of the poll. Tell me that, then I'll make my mind up as to whether you did a good job or not, or you know what you're talking about. Well, I say four out of five monkeys approve of bananas. <laughs> So I know that for sure. Hey, Valley, like, here's some music in my ear. That means we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to some internationalists. I want to find out what's happening in Gaza. I want to find out about the assassination of Mr. Navalny over in Siberia and what that means and a whole lot more. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this message. Hi, my name is Sherelle James and I am CEO and co-owner of My Local CFO. We provide outsourced fractional CFO services and what that means is that as a business owner you are good at what you do but sometimes not so good when it comes to the numbers and so we handle that for you. We help you understand what your numbers are saying so that you can make better strategic decisions as well as help you budget and forecast so you know where you're going for the future. So the client experience here at My Local CFO, from the time they call us or they walk through our door asking us about the services that we have, is a family-oriented one. 
one that we want them to be at ease and relaxed because we know when you're dealing with your finances, that's a stressful place. My local CFO cared. They would always answer my phone calls, be there when I needed, and it was a feeling that I had with that company. There's a lot of big CPA firms and accounting firms out there, but they're mostly worried about the larger clients and not the small the smaller guys that need to help the startup companies, and that's what My Local CFO does. Hello, my name is Derek James. I am the co-owner of My Local CFO. A client may need My Local CFO services because we're kind of the bridge between a average bookkeeper and your yearly visit with your CPA. My Local CFO works with our clients not only to meet their needs, but to exceed their needs. If you're just starting a business, there is no way possible that you can stay on top of the financials, take care of the marketing, perform the work. You need a competent team that can help you to stay on top of your financial situation. My Local CFO is it. My Local CFO fits a niche that's in today's small business climate. Uh, people need good accounting, but they don't need full-time accountants. My local CFO, financial solutions for a stronger future. And welcome back to our third and final segment of the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It's a Monday, February 19th, 2024. The year is zooming by. We're almost out of the month of February. Uh, hopefully where you are, the weather's nice. Uh, and uh, I think the groundhog uh, said that we weren't going to have six more weeks of bad weather. So I, I, so I appreciate Mr. Groundhog and, and your help in that, uh, moving to us in the spring. But when we left, I said I wanted to talk about some international news. Let's start with uh, what's not happening in Israel, what's not happening. There's no ceasefire. I, I saw some pictures from uh, Reuters yesterday, and it was of Gaza along the ocean, and where there there were shops and people out with their kids and palm trees and all that before, back in you know August September, and then now, and it's completely decimated. Everything's torn down. Not a single gas station. Not a single restaurant. Not a single you know shop of any kind no houses, no apartments, anything like that. Uh, have we missed something? Are we not clued in enough on the abject suffering that's probably going on with these people and the fact that Israel still has not ended their incursion? Uh, to me, it's about proportionality, Val, and, and I think the Israelis have been disproportionate in meeting out whatever punishment they think they need to meet out on all the people. The last number I saw, we, we were approaching 30,000 dead of the Palestinians when there were a thousand or so Israelis killed. Nobody should have been killed. Let's, let me qualify that. But proportionality wise, are, are we watching something? And I don't want to put a label on it, but what, what are we watching? What, what are the Israelis trying to do? I'll tell you, the Israelis aren't doing anything, Ed, that surprises me or that makes me take a second look. This is what I expect from them. You know, we talk on this show all the time about uh, abject fear, what it turns into. Abject fear turns into one thing. That's aggression. 
It's like the old in the old days we used to talk about cornering the cat or cornering a mouse or whatever. They have no place else to go but to attack. And that's Israel has been afraid all of their historical political life. And they are afraid that if they don't hold those who don't agree with them under their thumb, then they are vulnerable. And that makes it a, a creates a situation that they are perpetually at war with somebody. Anybody who does not agree with them, they are perpetually at war with them. It is unbelievable what irks me about this whole mess is I'm not concerned with Israel, Ed, because they're going to do what they want to do when they got a guy in leadership like Netanyahu. The problem is that your tax money and my tax money is going to buy bombs for this guy. And then my ambassador that is sitting up in the UN, that's sent there by the president that I voted for, is casting a veto vote that won't even let people entertain the idea of a ceasefire. You won't let them entertain a fight deal, and you're giving them the weapons to kill these 30,000 people you're talking about. I got a problem with that. And speaking of that, that is why a lot of Democratic Biden supporting voters out there are saying, I'll never vote for Trump, but I don't have to vote for Biden either. And, and that's dangerous. I don't think Biden and his advisors really understand the gravity of what's going on in the Middle East right now and what impact this may have on his election on November 3rd. I don't think he understands that. Yeah. I really don't because minorities, people of color all around the world have at some time, or at least their ancestors have, suffered at the hands of Europeans, suffered at the hands of the West that have left Europe and spread out over the whole world, committing genocide, taking over lands, killing people just because they can. And people have kinship with people suffering under these kind of things. That's why people here in America, people of color, have kinship with the Palestinians because the Israelis are doing to the Palestinians what the Europeans did to the Native Americans here, what they did to the Aboriginal uh, uh, people in Australia, what they did in apartheid in South Africa, what they've done all over the planet. And now it's the Middle East's turn. Yeah. And people in the Biden administration doesn't understand that people of color all over the world who've suffered because of this kind of thing, they see a suffering again. They feel the Palestinians' pain because we've been through it ourselves. And, and, and I think the Biden administration is just whistling through the graveyard. Well, we'll do some things to make to bring down the price of bread 25 cents and bring down the price of gas 15 cents, and then maybe they won't care what happens in Palestine. No, you can't buy me like that. You can't buy me like that. If I really feel bad 
about what's going on in Gaza, being able to buy a loaf of bread for 25 cents less it ain't going to make me change my mind about how I feel at what's going on in Gaza. Yeah, uh, Joe Biden has a problem that he needs to figure out how to fix this. I know he said that uh, he felt like the Israelis were being over the top, but that's not enough qu qualification <laughs> for me. I, I need for him to say a little bit more. Uh, speaking of uh, Democrats saying they, they're going to hold withhold support for uh, Biden, here's uh, Rashida Tlaib from Michigan saying just that. Michigan also has a Democratic primary, which is getting some unexpected attention in this year's race for the White House. Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is urging Democrats to vote against President Biden in the contest, which is a week away. Representative Tlaib is a Palestinian-American who has previously expressed her dissatisfaction with the Biden administration's role in the Israel-Hamas war. In a post on the X account, Listen to Michigan, she explained her stance. This is the way you can raise our voices. Don't make us even more invisible. Right now, we feel completely neglected, neglected and just unseen by our government. If you want us to be louder, then come here and vote uncommitted. So, Val, that, that poses a problem in a place like Michigan where every vote's going to count, particularly if Donald Trump is the nominee, if he somehow makes it through all his legal travails and is still the nominee. Uh, to, to have him back as president is very problematic, which brings me to the next story, which is uh, Mr. Navalny, uh, who was an outspoken critic of uh, Mr., uh, Mr. Putin, President Putin in Russia, ends up dead. Let's take a look at that clip and then we'll talk about it. In the past few minutes, Russia's prison authorities have announced that the leading Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny has died. A statement online said that Mr. Navalny had felt poorly after a walk and lost consciousness soon afterwards. It added that doctors had arrived straight away, but that all attempts at resuscitation had failed. Now, details are still coming in, and I'm still joined by my colleague Vitaly Shevchenko. Um, Vitaly, I just wanted to bring this in because we've just heard from Mr. Navalny's press secretary who is saying that she has no confirmation at the moment of Mr. Navalny's death but I assume um, that we should take what the Russian authorities are saying as, as, as fairly confirmed news. I'd be highly surprised if, if what's being uh, reported by this official source uh, were to be untrue. It's, it's so Val, uh, Navalny, had, they have tried to poison him. They've arrested him. They eventually send him to Siberia. And supposedly he goes on a walk and doesn't survive. They can't revive him. Uh, and now they haven't, as of today, returned over his body to his family. Uh, Vladimir Putin is a heinous individual. There's no two ways about it. But Donald Trump says that Russia should be able to do whatever they want to because you, NATO allies don't pay their dues. Mm -hmm. What is wrong with this guy? What's wrong with Donald Trump? Everything. And, and, and so we've talked about him enough. Let's talk about Putin. What's wrong with Vladimir Putin? What, what, what is he trying to create in Russia? He's not trying to reconstitute the USSR. He's trying to do something else, right? What, what is he trying to do? He's just trying to maintain his uh, hold on uh, ultimate political power. 
He doesn't want to seem weak uh, anywhere. He's sending a message to anybody who begins to think like Navalny did. He's sending a message to anybody who considers themselves to be in opposition of Vladimir Putin. And that message is, you may do whatever you like, uh, but the 16th floor is a long way to fall without a parachute, you know, when you're in one of these tall buildings or jumping out of a helicopter without a parachute, you know. Uh, and these are the things that happen to you when you drink your morning tea without knowing what's in it, you know. Uh, that would put fear in the hearts of whomever out there. That's all he wants to do is to say, hey, I pay people back for what they do to me. You know, you can't do that kind of stuff in Russia and get away with it. Well, you can do it, but you won't get away with it, okay? That's the message he's trying to send. And it's getting out there, you know. Uh, there may be somebody to replace Nivaldi, you know, coming up pretty soon. Uh, but I dare say they may suffer the same consequences as he did. Uh, and And right now, until you can get somebody who really can amass the people. You, you can't have one person or one guy or one gal or whatever. You've got to have a movement in order to have an impact, uh, effect on people like uh, Putin. And uh, one of the things that he wants to stop is a movement. And that's why he does what he does to people like Navalny, to stop the movement. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the last piece to this vow is is Putin and Ukraine. Um, there's still no aid package for Ukraine. Uh, you know, uh, the Republicans have tried to tie this to border security here in the United States. And Speaker Johnson keeps saying that until there's a border bill and then they get a border bill and they won't vote on it. Uh, you know, part of the generalized hypocrisy of uh, the Republicans my my deal is, uh, I, I hear people say there's an immigration problem. Maybe I'm maybe I'm short sighted, but we're the only major e economy that is not in recession. We're teetering on recession, even though they said we were going to be. We're nowhere near. And I think reason the reason why Val is because we do have immigrants that still come here. Japan does not have immigrants, but they have an aging population. China does not have immigrants, but they have an aging population. Germany has a slow birth rate and they're starting to feel some economic pressure. France, same thing. They got a whole bunch of people retirement age, but they're trying to stop immigrants from coming in. And guess what immigrants do, Val? They feel the jobs <laughs> that young people need to do, like construction and working in service and stuff. And that's why America has not gone into recession to some degree is because of that. The other thing that I'll say about immigration, and, and I'll leave it alone, because I know that they really don't want an immigration bill, is that uh, you and me and, and tons of other people who listen to this show have flown over America. And when you look down out of the plane, guess what you see? Mostly nothing. It, 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 the, the country is populated in about 60 urban areas, and then there's nobody anywhere else. That, that the problem though, is that when people come, they see New York City or they see Chicago and they think that's America and they go there. At least the newer immigrants that are coming now in the past, guess what they used to do Val? When white folks came from Norway, they gave them land in South Dakota 
in North Dakota, in Iowa, in Wisconsin, right? Uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't give it to people coming from China that ended up in San Francisco. <laughs> and, and, to, and right now, they don't give land to people arriving from wherever they arrived from. Or from Venezuela. Venezuela, right? <laughs> now, supposedly, they were concerned about the people of Venezuela because it was Marxist. But when right. those people show up, they turn around and send them back. So yeah. here, here's, here's the tough question on this, Val. Is there ever going to be any sound immigration policy uh, in the United States? And when are the Republicans going to give up on Vladimir Putin? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. Um, I think uh, that the Republicans will change. You see them change stripes before they give up, uh, change their feelings about uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, because the uh, Republican Party right now is on life support. We know that. We got to understand that. And depending upon what happens on November the 3rd, and subsequently on the following January 20th, uh, the Republican Party could go the way of the Whig Party. And you'll have something else to replace that. And how they deal with immigration, the replacement of the uh, Republican Party, this new party, how they deal with it is anybody's guess. Uh, but it'll have to be, they'll have some things out there that they agree with the Democrats on, but many things that they still disagree with the Democrats on, or they won't have, they won't give people any reason not to uh, support Democrats. They have to have a choice. But uh, this whole border thing is a way for the current Republican Party to throw a wrench in the operation, a monkey wrench in the operation of things. They want to be the, the chaos people. They want to be the folks that are against uh, whatever the Democrats want to do. Uh, this is the least effective Congress that we've had uh, in decades, if not longer. And when I say Congress, I'm talking about one half of the Congress. I'm talking about the House. It's the least effective. They don't do, they haven't done anything right now. All they want to do is give heartache and ants to Democrats and hopefully get Donald Trump elected to office uh, and raise money from their sycophants. And that's that's about it. That's their whole agenda. But they're going to need more than that in order to uh, maintain their viability going forward, Ed, because, like I said earlier, they are on life support. Yeah, so no border policy <laughs> anytime no. soon. And, no. And, and no aid for Ukraine anytime soon. I think that's the answer to the question. Hey, Val, uh, you know, so uh, one last thing. Uh, uh, Joe Biden was successful in one thing this past week. He led the Kansas City Chiefs to a Super Bowl victory, he and Taylor Swift. Uh, and uh, I, I know that uh, uh, you were probably uh, 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 convinced and fooled, just like everybody else, that the Chiefs won on their own. But we know that, <laughs> that Joe Biden and Taylor Swift were – in, in a cabal to uh, win the Super Bowl. You, you know, you know, Val, I know I make light of that, but uh, I was watching some video on YouTube of these reporters who go to these Trump rallies and stick a microphone in these people's faces. And they say it with a straight face as yeah. if 
as if, you know, it's totally believable that that happens, which brings me to the last part of the show today. Before we leave, I wanted I wanted you to talk about a book that you were reading that may address some of this nonsense <laughs> that we hear from these people. Tell, tell, talk, talk to us about what you're reading. <laughs> uh, I am reading a book, and it is entitled How to Steal a Presidential Election. It is by two uh, law school professors, Lawrence uh, Lessig of Harvard and uh, Matthew Seligman of Stanford University. Uh, it's, it's, it's published by the uh, Yale University Press. Uh, so it's got some good credentials and background there. It's, it's a great book. It it's scary. I mean, let me change that word. It is scary because they talk about how a, a an election can be stolen legally. I got scared when I read those two words together. How you can steal it legally and how the loopholes in our law and in our political process needs to be closed and it needs to be closed quickly because we've allowed them uh, to already have a dry run on January the 6th. Now they know what not to do next time, what to do in place of it next time, when to do it, who to get involved. I mean, these guys got a blueprint here, how to steal it, what to do, and it's all legal, what they yeah. can do. Uh, how to handle fake electors, how to, uh, the role of the vice president, uh, everything. Uh, what can be done to uh, eventually, and here's the bottom line, eventually throw the election called a contentious election into the House, mm. where each state gets one vote. And South Dakota becomes as important as California. Both Which is crazy. One vote. Uh, you know, Wyoming with its 500,000 people and California with its 40 million people each have one vote to determine who the president of the United States is going to be. Mm. And that, that's their strategy. This, they want to, they outline that. How do, you, how do you get to that point? It goes through a lot of places. It gets to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says, according to the Constitution, we have an impasse here. I want to have to throw this back into the house for them to decide who the president is. Lord have mercy, Jesus. Well, thank you, Val, for ruining my day. Uh, you know, uh, but but in all seriousness, uh, that's how we started the show today. We were talking about Fonnie Willis. Mm -hmm. And and that whole case is about how to steal an election uh, it, it, the wrong way. And they got caught. And so now they need to delay that so they can prepare themselves for the next time. So when that time comes to steal the election this time, they will be able to do it. And and I think that's an apt place for us to end today because I hear some music in my ear. So uh, I, I need for you guys to go out and do something good for somebody today. And I really do mean that. In the meantime, um, turn people onto the program make sure that you subscribe to the feed that way you don't have to worry about what day we're going to be on sometimes we're on on it you you'll hear us anytime between friday and monday most of the time it just depends on what's going on in the world we decided to wait because we didn't know what was going to happen with the funny willis thing so uh in the meantime come back and join us the next time for another edition of the deal talk to you later bye